wealthy experts, where we are bringing on experts in their field to help us build effectively a wealthy life. Hello, everybody. This is Dominic Neshi, and welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Podcast. Today, we're going to be doing a market update uh, for the Melbourne market, and we have none other than Ben, the founder of Branson Group. Now, Ben has been working with us for a while now and has actually been running this business for 20 plus years. One of the reasons why I love working with Ben and his team at Branson is their attention to detail, the quality work that they do and the projects that they deliver. Um, Year after year, their projects are growing. He's very strategic in the assets that he purchases. And some would say he has the Midas touch when picking these right developments. So I feel very safe working with him and his clients. Ben, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me, Dom. It's an absolute pleasure. I can see that that you've got your turtleneck. We had a chat about it earlier. It's obviously a little colder down there than it is up here. It's definitely a little bit chilly in Melbourne, that's for sure. But uh, born and bred here, so I don't know why I complain. I'm well used to it. Well, excuse my Friday shirt. I'm living near a lake now, and um, it's I'm trying to channel those Friday vibes. It's all good. Um, so tell me, I mean, we don't want to talk and dwell on this too much, but how has how has COVID sort of impacted your market this time around? I mean, last year, it was a tough time. We you're locked up for a while. We saw that the listing rates came down, the amount of volume came off. But then as soon as you came out of COVID, there was a huge amount of pent-up demand. People had saved their money, listings came back, and you saw the market came back with a, a vengeance. What are you seeing or feeling this time around? Yeah, that's right, Tom. Um, I suppose mid last year was definitely probably the toughest of, of the whole cycle through COVID. But uh, the minute we got out of it towards sort of, um, you know, October, November and leading into Christmas, the pent up demand was absolutely huge. So um, we launched four projects just before Christmas and had an incredible response um, right through Christmas into the new year and, and still to this day. But um you're right. The pent up demand and, uh, and and the lack of the lack of supply, or even I suppose good good stock uh, within the market, um, is very few and far between. So we've been very fortunate to have the right type of product in the right type of um, areas. Obviously, you know that we focus very heavily on the middle ring um, suburbs of Melbourne, uh, and particularly the the inner north and the inner west. Um, so uh, that that t- that medium density townhouse stock uh, has been, you know, traditionally always very well received, but even more so lately. And can I ask you, because I, for all of you out there that are listening and watching, Ben does specialise in that middle ring in the north of Melbourne, um, and they specialise in in what we call or what the government calls the missing middle. Normally, you know, developers go out, they do house and land subdivisions, you know, far out west, east, north of Melbourne, or they do lots and lots of apartments. Ben has been very strategic and cornered a part of the market that we see and the government has seen as a a huge opportunity for people where you can deliver beautiful quality townhouses in that inner ring in strategic locations. Have you noticed that uh, the townhouses have performed uh, as well as houses, or would you say you'd put them closer to, to apartments? Or where would you sort of rate a townhouse's performance relative to houses and apartments? Um, well, I suppose given that we've got such a huge vested interest in the townhouse model, um, 
It's definitely not anything that we'd compare to an apartment. Um, it's definitely following the house price a lot closer than, than, than the apartment follows the house price. Uh, and especially because we're, we're putting um, product into typically million-dollar-plus suburbs. So, for instance, you know, you're putting in a, a townhouse in Essendon with uh, a median house price of $1.5 million, um, and typically the stock's at least 20 30 40% under that median price. So um, the, the, the units and the resales have been incredibly strong. Um, for instance, we had one reported in one of our projects called 16 Degrees North in Preston. And now I went into Preston around five or six years ago and everyone thought, I think he's gone mad. Who, you know, who's building townhouses in Preston? And no one had heard of it. But um, we went in there and saw the suburb was gentrifying and saw the young families and the mums pushing the prams uh, and the really strong fundamentals that the suburb had. Uh, of 16 townhouses in 2000 and late 15 and I think it settled in 16. Uh, those townhouses were sold for $5.99 off the plan. We just had a resale, of, I think, a month or two ago for $760,000. So um, people are doing very, very well uh, investing in the townhouse space. I And let's talk about that a little bit more because I, I've bought into this model. I really do believe in it. What you've done there is very strategic. You're buying in these emerging or blue chip suburbs. So they're either areas that are affluent where you've got a median house price, it's one and a half. And, and let's just talk about even Essendon. You've got houses that are selling there for five, 10, $15 million. So it's yeah. a very affluent old money suburb. And what you're delivering and giving clients is land content, but also a, a piece of real estate that fits within the culture of the area. And it feels like you're arbitraging the price between a house and delivering a similar sort of feeling as a house, but without the, the budget that comes with it. Do you attribute a lot of the growth because of that? Is that how you're thinking about it? There's, yeah, we're definitely good analysis of it, but I suppose, you know, the, the one fundamental is that our product has a secondary market. It's not just a secondary market for an investor. The product's suited to um, a huge pool of buyers. So if it was to be resold, it's not only looking for an investor like many apartments are, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll attract a downsizer, a first home, second time. It, there's many, many people looking to buy these types of products. So, and they're designed, I suppose, we're going to, uh, you know, the top of town architects, working with the best designers in, you know, in the country to come up with products um, that, that are suited to that in particular market. And how do you, you know, Melbourne, Melbourne hasn't performed as well as many of the other states do you anticipate there being, you know, even more pent up demand, or do you think that there's a bit of catch up to do in the Melbourne market? Like, do you see it as a almost undervalued relative to everybody else? Well, I suppose definitely. If you look at if you look at your market, um, I think we're undervalued by miles. So, and it depends depends what you compare it to. But um, the affordability, um, I think, is is a key factor. Is trying to in deliver the product that we aim to deliver with, you know, the right design and the right quality 
um, at the right price. So, um, and not becoming a cookie cutter um, type of product. So I think there's there's still scope for growth, huge growth. So generally speaking, we think that there is scope for growth in Melbourne and and talking about you know the the product more specifically to our clients listeners and the people that are out there what are some of those key factors that you attribute to your success and the business success in choosing the right product or the right area but then also delivering the right product for the market what are some of the the key criteria that come into your mind that you know our investors and the people out there listening should think about yeah, so I, look, we, we do have a very stringent set of guidelines when we're looking for, for sites. Uh, and obviously, everyone knows that there's certain fundamentals that you need to be looking for, such as infrastructure and the transport and, and, and the schools and all these sorts of things. But we're, we're also looking for, you know, and you've seen our ripple, ripple effect um, chart, Dom, which we're, um, we're really getting people to buy into now is is what's the next suburb? And once one suburb has, I suppose, peaked and run out of steam, what's next? And and which is the adjoining suburb or what are the next suburbs out? For instance, now we've been in in Essendon for 20 years. We've done um, dozens of projects here. So, you know, what's next? So now we have sites coming up in in Nidri, for example, and Pasco Vale South. So we're looking at that they still have all those fundamentals of, um, you know, trains, trams, private schools, you know, um, the best private schools in the inner north. Um, so we're looking for what are those drivers that are going to keep um, delivering the results for our for our customers and your customers? What I like there is that, you know, you're right. There are some very obvious things that people don't pay attention to, and that's, you know, transport infrastructure, schools, you know, the, the local centre where the cafes, the bars, the restaurants are. And, but I think what has worked well for you is you've been a bit more forward thinking and courageous enough to go to the next suburb where a lot of people will, won't do it because it has a stigma or they think that it's not quite there yet. I'll, I'll use a quick anecdote. When I spoke to some people about Reservoir, they said, oh, one of, the, one of the friends of mine said, well, that's depressingly suburban, right? Mm. And I can already see that in a short time, in a year or so that we've been working there, that it's changed immensely. Yeah, it's, 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 that's a really, I'm, I'm glad you raised that point because it's, well, I had the exact same thing um, said to me when we went to um, Preston, you know, in 2014, um, you know, we've done projects in Fitzroy, Fitzroy North, Northgate, many projects in Northgate. We went to then Thornbury. And, you, you know, you can see where we're tracking. We're tracking up along the northern corridor of St. George's Road. And then we went to Preston. Everyone said the same thing. And then, obviously, a couple of years ago, we started acquiring sites um, around the, the brand-new train station that the government just spent $230 million on. And you only have to go, obviously, if you guys are in lockdown, but you only have to go for a walk up and down Edwards Street and around the Edwards Street, uh, Edwards Lake to see how that suburb has gentrified. And as you know, we've we've just started settling the first two stages of our high street collection and valuations are coming on the, on the dollar. People are settling on time, um, no issues at all. 
So the, you know, that just says everything about um, the, the suburb and, and what, what we've delivered. But then at what point is, you know, at what point do you say that suburb's too far or, or the ripple effect won't come into effect? At what point do you say that this, this anomaly that we've noticed that, that's been working for the past 15 plus 20 years, it almost feels like it's too easy just following that northern road all the way up and watching this ripple keep on changing prices? Like at what, what, what point does it not work or do you think that, you know, that it, surely that suburb's not going to work? I think, yeah, I think it, 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 there's definitely that point. There's definitely a point where you, you know, if you went, you know, people are already asking me about certain suburbs a bit further and I'm, I'm still a little bit hesitant about where they are. They've got to, they still need to have those fundamentals. I mean, look at our, um, our Belmont collection, for instance, in Mill Park. I mean, it's, it's you know, Latrobe University is spending $5 billion. We had to triple check that figure. We were like, surely not. $5 billion, like where is that money being spent? And it's correct. So as long as those those key factors are there, then um, we'll just keep assessing them. And I don't think it's a case of just, you know, keep rolling further out. It, it, I don't think it's just forever and a day. Okay. So it, it isn't just keep on rolling out. It is about paying attention to what's actually happening in that suburb. It is, you know, there's money being spent, the train cha- train station being extended, or you can see that qualitatively something is getting better or it is changing in a way. Yeah, yeah. And again, we, you know, we relate a lot of this stuff back to the house price and what's the house price doing, um, and what are the what are the small what are the small dual occupancies doing? Um, Nidra is a perfect example of that. You know, where you've got people paying 1.3, 1.4 million dollars for a, a duplex so you know you can see that there's a gap for us to come and slot in yeah and come in under that price and, and deliver a good quality product yeah. yeah now i just want to talk about this pretty briefly because you go out and i hope you don't mind me sharing but you you, you buy sites and you're spending tens of millions of dollars buying sites very regularly um and you you one of the things that you do so well is the acquisitions part. But I want to talk about this a little bit is the supply of townhouses versus say houses and then apartments. And, and the reason why I like townhouses and why I like going for light land content is it's much harder to amalgamate a site. Well, not harder to amalgamate a site, but you get far less townhouses on an amalgamated site versus units. Can, can we chat about that a little bit and what your acquisitions and, and the supply constraints that come with townies? Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, you've heard Evan talk about this, um, you know, very frequently with, you know, different um, projects that we're obviously pitching. And you're right, when we're, when we're acquiring sites, I mean, we're, we're usually going into, we've talked about the suburbs we're going into, but... The other thing that's happened in Melbourne is that the, the zoning changes have had a huge effect on, on the medium density in the townhouse market specifically. Now, we're going into markets where there's absolutely limited supply of huge sites. So we're typically having to amalgamate multiple house blocks to come up with, for instance, uh, a 2,000 metre block. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. So I suppose that this is where the um success has been is is putting our product into 
you know, A-grade locations in um, with sites that basically you can't just replicate. There's not there's not dime a dozen of the sites that we're purchasing. They're just not easy to put up. They're not easy to put together, and they don't exist uh, in abundance. So it's it's you know it's, again it's just a demand and supply um, issue. So, so talking about say a two thousand square meter block, just for people listening, you know how many townhouses would you get versus how many apartments would you get? I know it's a it's a big rule of thumb and it's hard to say, but just as an anecdotal bit of evidence, um, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer because there's so so many different um, things that you can analyze it with, but. Because we're going into what we, you know, they're generally general residential zone or neighbourhood residential zone. So they're not really ever going to be an apartment or a high-rise or a mid-rise development. Um, hence why we're going to, you know, A-grade locations where the, the house on that street might be $2 million, $3 million. Um, Lincoln Road, Essendon's a, a perfect, our Lincoln Collection's a perfect example where we've got townhouses at, you know, one to one point three million dollars, and there's houses in Lincoln Road that are have sold for five, six, ten million dollars. So, um, yeah, the the yield of our product is is miles less. I don't know what what as a percentage it would be, but if we're putting in ten or fifteen townhouses on a site, you know, you might be able to put forty or fifty apartments on that site if you could get height. Yeah. So depending, obviously, depending if it's close to a station, you might have higher height requirements. It could be 40, 50, or even a bloody 100. You just don't know. Yeah. But the multiples on, on a 2,000 square metre site or putting a site together for townhouses, you're getting far less density, which is a natural supply constraint on the market that you're picking in. Yeah, that's right. So I suppose it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more complex and difficult model to roll out. I mean, if I wanted to build a thousand apartments, we could, but it's it's not something that we want to do. It costs us on average four to five times at least the the site price to buy a townhouse site. So for every hundred townhouse sites we have, I could probably have four or five hundred apartments. Yeah. And and delivering delivering these days is it getting harder is it easier how has covid impacted people like you when you're trying to build this stuff are the prices going up as people are talking about are supplies getting harder to get yeah look you, you everything's we got upwards pressure on everything at the moment obviously the land prices are um are, are being driven um high but also um just the, the sheer supply of um raw materials timber steel we've got our We've just started construction out at the Belmont Collection at 107 townhouses and we're getting huge upward pressure on our um, delivery of timber, steel. We've changed the steel frames and we've still, we're still getting um, huge pressure on that. So um, whether it's our, us as a developer or other developers, everyone's having to rethink their, their costs because um, you know the square meter rates that we we're able to deliver these things for is um, is climbing by the day at the moment. That's that's really interesting to know because when you're thinking about it as a an investor or a homeowner or whatever, it just simply costs more to deliver a house going forward. So what you're buying for today, a fixed price asset, someone buying that same asset 
in a year or two from now, is this going to cost three, four, five, 10, 15% more? Yeah. And this is why this is why I think, you know, people that are able to buy product from, from us off the plan uh, immediately basically are doing well because the next the next townhouse or the next project, wherever it is, whether it's in the same street or in the same suburb, physically won't be able to be priced at the same amount. So you're automatically making money. Yeah. By committing to something that's really 12, 18 months away. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't think that competing with five other desperate homeowners at an auction is the way to go and score a good deal. No, no, especially how it's so so um it's so heated. So you end up paying, you know, five, ten percent at least, maybe more um over the odds, and then you're waiting for growth to catch up. Whereas, you know, these products, uh, I can't keep delivering them for the same product, uh, for the same price. Belmont Collection is a perfect example where that, that, that project and that product is physically unable to be delivered again at, at the prices that we've seen. Talking about the Belmont collection and talking about, you know, someone listening to this or watching this may think, all right, well, I'll go buy a fixed price asset. I might go buy a townhouse or a house or whatever. But I want to point out that not all product is made equal. And, and the reason why you're on the show today and why I'm talking to you is because there is a level and attention to care that goes into your design and what you actually deliver. You know, it may be just anecdotally, but even more specifically, can we just chat about, you know, the differences in product and how you think design has, you know, impacted, say, property prices and, and what it means for the end user or what it means for the person that's going to be buying it down the road? Yeah. I know that you're passionate about design and you're a trained builder and architect and been doing this a while, but can we chat about design and, and, and that a bit? Yeah, look, it's um, it's a good point. It's a huge, um, I mean, obviously we've talked about um, with you guys specifically the three pillars that I suppose Branson's built on, which is the design, the investment, and also the quality. So the, the design component of and also the, the quality of the product is is hugely, hugely important to us. And I know you haven't been able to come and see uh, the high collection. We've literally just finished um, as we speak um, as a finished project yet. But the the things such as the communal areas that we've put in, the barbecue spaces, uh, we've got a fire pit there. We've got catenary, catenary lights, which look incredible. Um, we've got click and collect lockers. It's fully secured. They're things, they're things that you just don't expect to see in townhouse projects. Um, they're things that you might see on a on a three or four hundred apartment high-rise tower on the, on the roof with um, residence amenities, not in a, a 15 or a 20 townhouse project. Um, you know, we've got herb gardens. We've got all sorts of things happening there that um, just help the residents. So whether it's an own occupier or it's an investor, it just attracts um, more people to, to, to want to live there. But even within the townhouses themselves, I saw a really good article the other day. A gentleman bought a townhouse um, and the, the way that it was designed, it, there was poor light. The kitchen was in the middle of the living area. There was walls up so you couldn't see the backyard. They spent and, you know, about $120,000 redesigning the kitchen, opening it all, all up. There was uh, a lot more breathable, a lot more natural air, and 
they ended up selling it for three or four hundred thousand above reserve. Mm. Now, what I like about your product again, and I hate to feel like I'm just tooting your horn, but you know, not all apartments houses are designed equally. And what I found in a lot of the product that you're designing is it's very well considered. It's as if it's a, a kitchen made for a chef or you've got proper entertainment spaces or the island benchtop has been delivered in a really tasteful way. It's very space conscious, very aware of a tenant is going to live in there or an owner occupier is going to be in there. So there's a lots and lots of storage, which, you know, it feels like you try to squeeze in a cupboard wherever possible. And I just want to know, was that a very deliberate thing from you guys and the team you work with? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, interesting what you talked about, the storage, for example, that's something we've been um, refining every time. Um, and I haven't um, I haven't got any photos to share, but that, that project we talked about in 16 Degrees North, I mean, that was sort of the start of when we really started ramping up huge amounts of storage in our townhouses. Um, and we're finding people love it. Now, whether it's storage in as linen cupboards or we're putting in every pretty much every project now has shaving cabinets within above above the vanities, in the bathrooms, um, in addition to obviously underbench um, cabinetry. So we're, we're really thinking about who's, who's going to live there, how they're going to live there, and, and obviously making sure that they have um, all those sorts of things ticked off. So whether it's, they're all the little one percenters, I think, when we walk through, when we show people through our product, um, whether it's the tall doors, so we typically have a 2,400 door as opposed to a 2,100 door. They're, they're noticeable things at 2,400 windows, um, taller ceilings, 2,700 ceilings. So they're all little things that add up to a lot when you walk through the product. Yeah, they're really good design consideration for the people that are out there. It's all the subtle touches that you may not even see visually, but you feel it when you're there. Now, I mean... Ben, where, where are the opportunities in the market? Where, where would you be investing around less than 800000 at the moment? What would you be out there buying? Where do you think's undervalued within the Melbourne market? Where do you think people should be putting their attention to? Yeah, look, I think the middle rings, and this is obviously where we operate, but um, we think that the middle that we talk, you know, as you mentioned, the missing middle is something that's been spoken about for a long, long time. And there's just not the supply being released to that market. So um, the inner north, the inner west of Melbourne, um, you've got to remember that you're in, you know, you're sub 10 kilometres from the CBD. You're ticking all the boxes from uh, amenity perspective. Obviously, we've spoken about infrastructure and government spending. Um, our projects in Pascovar South and Nidri, they're $800,000, $850,000 products you know, between seven to 10 kilometres from the CBD um, next to the best public and private schools this side of town. So I think from an affordability perspective, you're going in to Nidri as an example where its neighbouring suburb has a median house price of 1.5 million. These days you can barely buy a knockdown in Essendon for 2 million. So, you know, if you're buying a townhouse for eights and nines or sub a million dollars, I think uh, in the short to medium term, you're going to do very, very well. And do you think while we're on this topic, I've always been tempted by, you know, even spending more than 800K, but do you think that you could effectively spend a million bucks on a nice townhouse or a nice product and, and it be a good investment? 
Yeah, we've we've seen that um, that change over the last couple of years dramatically. Where typically we wouldn't see investors buy a million dollar plus townhouse, it's definitely changed. So we've got um, multiple buyers now in that million dollar to one point, you know, two million dollar bracket, um, seeing value uh, in in these sorts of um, suburbs. Okay. Well, Ben, I don't want to take up your time. I know that I'm very, very gracious for you spending this time with us. One, one, uh, I've got two more questions. One's a bit of a random one. Do you think the Melbourne prices will ever catch up to Sydney? Oh, I'm not sure if I want to go on the record as saying that. That could be, that could be very, very risky. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I had a respond to that. Uh, I'm a Melbourneian, so and I'm talking to a, to a Sydneyite, so I've got to be a little bit careful there, Dom, too. No, say whatever you like. I mean, if given enough time, anything's possible. But I'm interested to hear what you what you genuinely think. You're a well-traveled man. You've been all over the world and you can value a city. The, the, the population growth in Melbourne has suffered recently, but it is going to outstrip Sydney or, or may recently have had. And, you know, when the borders open up, we're going to see a lot of migrants. We're going to see a lot of students. We're going to see tourism. It, a lot of things are going to change, you know, do you think that if given enough time, maybe in our lifetime, Melbourne will beat or outstrip the Sydney market? Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not sure about where that, where that will lie, but I think what I can hand on heart say is that, you know, when all of this is, all this dust settles through COVID and like you say, the, we, get, um, we get the migration back, we're, we're not going to be talking about buying $800,000 townhouses within 10 kilometres, even 20 kilometres of the city anytime soon. So you know yourself how far out you need to go from the Sydney CBD to, you know, to, to be able to buy something at even a million dollars. Um, you're a fair way out. So I think people that are buying where we are, where we're operating in those middle rings with all the key drivers, they're, they're, go, they're, they're going to be very, very uh, well-placed in 5, 10, 15 years. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you. All right, last question. Um, any any hints, tips, words of wisdom, maybe something that you've seen, experienced, a good restaurant, a book? What's something that you can leave our audience with that recently captivated you and you want to leave with all of us? Oh, and uh, does it need to be real estate related or not? No, no, anything. It can be just something that you, you ate or something that you, a TV show you watch. Watch something. Leave us with some value. Oh, I can I, go and um, do it today. I've jumped on. I've jumped on the Wim Hof bandwagon. I'm not sure if you've heard or seen him. Cold showers, breathing. Yeah, all of the above. I think it's um, it's actually incredible. Uh, he's a, he's an, an amazing um, guy, but um, his techniques and some of the things he talks and preaches about. Um, you, if you went and did start doing cold showers, for instance, um, most things take time to see benefits from. But I tell you what, the cold shower thing is actually incredible. So if you if you haven't seen Wim Hof uh, or read about him, it's it's incredible. He's yeah, very uh, very inspiring. Oh, it takes some courage to go and do some cold showers in, in winter in Melbourne. I tell you what. So if you're doing that, my hats off to you. Yeah. And um, yeah. I agree. If you do have a cold shower, it changes your life and it does get better over time. It does. Ben, thank you very much for your time today. To all of you that are out there listening, if you've got any questions or or, or things you want to say or disagree with what we have to say or, or comments, leave them in the, the comments below. Subscribe, like, all that fun stuff. And I hope to see you all soon. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me, Dom.